Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the notion of enlightenment, an hour for inquiry and reflection, all in an effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. An hour devoted to exploring the edge of consciousness and all that is implied thereof, an hour that recognizes the nature of the subjective experience as being at least as important as the objective reality we reside within. An hour open to honest speculation, indeed an hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowledge as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. I now every week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape and improve our show. Last week our guest was Chris Carter, and our subjects were parapsychology and the skeptics. Kelly wrote, quote, I have been a listener of your show on Hay House from its onset. I suspect that you play the devil's advocate to make the show interesting. However, it's caused me more than once to tune out of your show. I hear how your guests become defensive and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Of course, this is my opinion. However, hearing you play tit for tat with your guests does not make good radio. I tune into Hay House for the sense of harmony that the hosts provide. I tune out of your show because, even though I get where you are coming from, I do not view it as supportive. However, I have listened enough to know that I sense your heart is in the right place. Please know that this struggle to make someone look right or wrong is simply out of date. We need one another, and supported by data or not, everyone deserves a chance to speak their truth with respect. End quote. Now I let Kelly know that I was going to read her letter on the air, and she added this. Quote, my motive for giving you feedback is for you. I truly think highly of your work, and I only felt comfortable giving you feedback because you yourself always encourage us to give it. I support your show even if I have issues. Please note this, end quote. And it is duly noted, Kelly. Okay. Our survey questions deal with precisely this feedback from Kelly. The first question is, Should I let information fly by that is questionable at best and or that I know to be in error? The second question feeds from the first. Should we reformat our show to be a good feeling show? All right. Now, here's my take on the issue. I could do a show this week on, say, self-sabotage, next week on weight loss, the following week on addiction, then one on sports performance, Uh, becoming an entrepreneur, and so on and so on. After all, I've written and recorded over 300 audio and video programs that aim at specific issues most face or know someone that does in one way or another. Many of these programs have been studied employing the most rigorous of scientific methods, the double-blind study. So every week the show could just be about some topic that corresponds to something I have written or recorded. That way we could stay on subjects where hope and the human potential can be our only focus. Maybe not a bad idea. I have chosen thus far to pursue the leading edge, sometimes edgy edge, of subjects with some of the best experts we could find. We have had uh, some truly remarkable people on the show. So, Kelly, you're right. I have challenged some in the past. 
Neil Donald Walsh informed us that there is no such thing as an absolute virtue. Morality is all about the choice of the majority, so the man that cuts his child bride's ears and nose off cannot be judged. He is only doing what the society has approved. I disagreed, and we had a robust discussion. We have had guests that misrepresent some facts, or they've made statements that are flagrantly wrong. I have challenged the abuse of science on more than one occasion. Last week, I was uncomfortable with Chris Carter's aim at psychology. I let go the fact that he made an issue of how skeptics were not hard scientists. In fact, he stated that they were predominantly psychologists and philosophers. What I let go was this. Chris himself is not a hard scientist. He boasts degrees in economics and philosophy. So from where does this skeptical scientific credential, the special one, originate? However, when he continued several times to pummel the field of psychology, I nicely asked him to be nice to psychologists and reminded him that I'm a fellow in the American Psychotherapy Association, the APA. This seemed to only make matters worse, and he quoted a piece from the 60s, a half a century ago, written by a psychologist. You know, well, first of all, I can go back 50 years to any discipline and find someone that's critical of the discipline. But most importantly, the field of psychology, including, of course, the new area known as positive psychology, has by and large accepted the spiritual aspect of the human condition much more so than any other discipline you'll find on a college campus. And that includes the capital U unconscious, and that includes all of this stuff we think of as paranormal. Well, from here, there were additional exceptions and questions posed by myself during the interview with Mr. Carter. I admit to having problems with certain types of data when it is 40 and 50 years old. Often provocative enlightenment is not about, quote, feel good, end quote. It's more about clearing away mental debris, producing some enlightenment, uh, conducting investigations, clarifying, searching, and so forth, all with the ultimate aim of some sort of epistemological certainty, or at least a reasonable approximation thereof. What I say I know, I truly want to know. Not have on hearsay, but as a result of solid, open-minded, investigative research. I also feel an obligation to you, the listening audience. I assume that if I let it go, you're more likely to give it credibility. Now, I listen to opinions. I'm open uh, to interpretations. I will entertain the wildest ideas. But when the guest goes beyond what seems to me to be acceptable, as with Walsh and morality, then I find it necessary to say something. Otherwise, I feel that I have given a certain form of tacit consent to that ideology, that way of thinking. I may be there right and I'm wrong, but I'm still going to speak up and say what I think. You can make up your own mind this way with both sides of an issue present. I have thought of provocative enlightenment more as a good thinking show that leads to complete thinking and therefore truly good feelings instead of just a so-called good feeling variety. All right, enough on the subject. You tell me what you want. Please go to our chat room and answer the two questions in the survey. Number one, should I let information fly by that is questionable at best and or that I know to be an error? Number two, should we reformat our show to be more of a good-feeling show? Okay, with a different opinion on last week's show, Ben wrote, 
Absolutely fascinating show, Eldon. It was interesting to hear that people who had seizures reportedly reported totally different memories from the clarity and peace of a near-death experience. One of our regulars in the chat room, Patty with an I, wrote, Great start for 2011. Chris Carter was a good choice. Enjoyed the chats with the roomies and Rav last month. But you two are a pair like peanut butter and jelly, like yummy and warm fuzzies. Checked out the lineup, and it looks like my Tuesdays are booked for January. Thanks again for this provocative show. Well, thanks to you, Patty, and we're glad you're glued to our show. What do you think of that one, Rav? I think that's cool. I can't figure out if I'm the peanut or the jelly, though. Uh, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> okay. Linda wrote, once I discovered your show on Hay House, it became routine for me to go to the archives and listen to all your shows. I am finally around to take advantage of your kind offer of these free MP3s. think I will start with the I Believe download because that is a type of foundation world I would like to create all other things from. Well, you know, thanks, Linda. I share that with you. That's why we created that program. And for all of you out there, remember that we have a number of InterTalk programs available to you absolutely free on my website, so be sure to check them out. Finally, Pamela wrote, I am so excited to work with InterTalk. I am a life coach and interior designer guiding people to create heartfelt environments, and this is such a powerful tool. I thank you. Well, thank you, Pam, and to all of you, thanks for your letters and feedback. That's all the time for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website, emailing me at eldon at eldentaylor.com, and or by joining me on Facebook. I do read all of your letters, including those that don't make our show, and they do impact our programming, obviously. So once again, thank you. Now to today's show, an exciting show, great guest. Eric Von Daniken wrote Chariots of the Gods in 1968. Since then, millions of copies of the book have sold, and several television programs have covered concepts original to Von Daniken's interpretation of ancient astronauts, landing fields, religious practices, and lost technologies. His work and theories are absolutely fascinating. I've enjoyed him for years. In his latest book, Twilight of the Gods, we have some forecasts for upcoming events. One of the premises in the book implies that we're in for a shock of significant proportion. All right, today we're joined by Giorgio Sukolos, director of Ondanikin Center for Ancient Astronaut Research and the star and consulting producer of the television series Ancient Aliens. Great show, by the way. Giorgio is Von Daniken's official representative in the U.S. and the rest of the English-speaking world. He has traveled the world extensively, including more than 54 countries, and he is fluent in five languages. His degree is in communication from Ithaca College in New York. He has first-hand uh, access to many photographs and ancient artifacts and other archaeological relics uh, not currently accessible to the general public. And he's here to share his knowledge, findings, and insight with us today. He has often been described as the real-life Indiana Jones. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Giorgio Sukalos. Thank you very much for having me on the program. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's indeed our pleasure. We're honored to have you here. Let's begin with the notion of this upcoming major shock. Tell us about that. Well, the major shock that everybody uh, is in for is basically that uh, 2012 is right around the corner, and that's when um, uh, a great majority or a great uh, portion of society will go absolutely cuckoo because they will all, or they're currently all thinking, 
that the world might come to an end and that uh, there will be Judgment Day and the apocalypse and all this nonsense, or that uh, the extraterrestrials might arrive in 2012. And while some of these questions are truly legitimate, especially the return of extraterrestrials, uh, the fact of the matter is, and this is described in, the, in Eric von Daniken's new book, Twilight of the Gods, that, you know, right now, yes, you know, our calendar does say it is 2011 right now, but in reality, it's not really 2011, because back in the day, if you look at our history of our calendar, of our chronology, we basically went from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. There never was a year zero. So right there, we're already off by one year. So then after that, uh, so it's either 2010 or 2012 already right at this moment. And then in the Middle Ages, uh, scholars have determined that when the monks were in charge of, re- of recording our calendar, they've determined that the monks made mistakes up to seven years in recording our actual calendar dates. So if you add 7 plus 1, you have 8, so it's either 2002, uh, 2003 right now or already 2019. And then last but not least, the fact of the matter is that you know we have absolutely no idea when our calendar, the calendar that we all live our, our lives by today, actually started. Was it truly on the day when Jesus was born, for example, when we now know for a fact that Jesus was not even born on the 25th of December? So there are all these factors that play exactly into this shock, into this whole 2012 scenario that everybody talks about, um, where, you know, any and all of these discussions have to be prefaced with the notion that, uh, you know, yes, there are some legitimate concerns there, but at the same time, absolutely nothing will happen next year because we're not even in on the same page alongside the Mayan calendar uh, that, you know, this is really 2012. And so it's uh, it's quite fascinating. And, and but the shock, the, the way this shock, one way or the other, when these extraterrestrials will return in the future, the shock of the gods, or this god shock, can be avoided if we all open up our minds by accepting the fact that not only are we not alone in the universe, but that extraterrestrials have been here as ancient astronauts in the remote past, and that they will return in the not-too-distant future. In there. Now, that is a huge bite <laughs> to start the show, yeah. and I love it. That's great. But let's, if I can, let's stay with the the uh, Mayan calendar for a minute, and mm-hmm. then we'll we'll move on. All right. Now, uh, I think to further exacerbate this problem, most of the scholars that I'm familiar with, religious scholars, um, they plus or minus Jesus uh, 32 years before, or 32 years after what isn't the zero year, the one BC. So set that aside, whether we're in 2003, 2019, or wherever we might be, what do you think 
uh, the end of the calendar of means. And, and, and look, the Gregorian calendar mm-hmm. ends every year. Sure. Uh, so is this is this calendar end? Is it really designed to mean something? And and all these soothsayers out there that are talking about planetary alignments and electromagnetic shifts and polar this and that and the other. Uh, they got anything? I mean, can they determine 2012 by the basis of this cycle? And not really. Look, there there are certainly some astronomical alignments that will happen. There's absolutely no question in that. But astronomical alignments happen every single day. You can look at on the sky on every single night uh, of the, or every single uh, evening out there, and you will see some very specific alignments that only coincide with this particular day. I mean, that's just a astronomical fact. And so, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's really wonderful that you call them soothsayers because that's what they are. Uh, the bottom line is that just what you said, that the Gregorian calendar ends every year. Now, does that mean that every year after the end of our Gregorian calendar, uh, 10 days ago, that the world end? Of course not. Here we are on January 11th, and we're having this wonderful interview. So nowhere, nowhere does it say, or did the Mayans say, that at the end of the Mayan calendar, the world will come to an end, or that there will be destruction, or the apocalypse, and all of this nonsense. Because just like what we do with the Gregorian calendar, I'm sure that many of our listeners, for Christmas, what did they receive? They received uh, another calendar, a calendar for 2011 that you put on your desk, you put on your wall, wherever, because, you know what, you, the, the 2010 ran out, you have, you have to have a new calendar. So, <laughs> just like the Mayan calendar um, will end, it's nothing else but the beginning of a new period in time. A new calendar will begin. And by the way, you know, everybody only talks about 2012, the 21st of December uh, 2012, the end, the end, this, the end, that. But nobody talks about the, the fact or asks the, the, uh, the question, well, if the calendar ends on 2012, do we actually know when it began? And we do. In fact, scholars have determined, or they've now come sort of to an agreement when the calendar started, and that was on the 11th of August, 3114 B.C. Now, we would all have to agree that, uh, you know, mainstream scientists and pretty much everyone agrees that the Maya did not exist in 3114 B.C., and so the question that I have, or that Eric von Daniken also raised in Twilight of the Gods, is, well, what compelled the Mayans to start their calendar that far back in, in the past? What was so significant? And according to the Chilam Balam books, the books of the Jaguar priests, that was a time when, and this is a paraphrase of a quote, but anyone can go and read the correct quote in the book, Twilight of the Gods. It says that at that time, the road to the stars descended from the sky, and the thirteen and the nine gods descended to see what they created. And when they will return, they will re- rectify everything that has been destroyed or that has been you know, misaligned and things like this. 
So this is all very fascinating, even though at the same time, you know, uh, you know, nothing will happen next year because <laughs> our calendar is off by many, right. many years. Well, well, let's assume that it is uh, the day is actually coming. I mean, uh, implied in what you're you're suggesting here is that uh, the Mayans dated this calendar on the basis of information given to them by ancient uh, astronauts. Yes, right. correct. Okay, cool. So let's assume that that's the day they first visited or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's some reason for them to choose that date. Then the calendar cycles to 2012, 12, 21, 2012, supposedly, whenever that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and even Ruiz, who, who had a significant part of finding it, I've interviewed him. He, he does not believe that there is any eschatological event, any Armageddon tied into this, this calendar date. Right. But what does, what, what is suggested in the fact that it ends 12, 21, you know, 2012, when I, I see no, I mean, our calendar is the first through, you know, 1-1 through 12-31. I'm looking at 8-11 to 12-21, and, and I don't see any cycle there. So is there something suggested in your mind by that date? Uh, no, 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 because uh, you see, the thing is that, uh, first of all, I have a very hard time with uh, with predictions and prophecies and, and things like that anyway, because in my mind, uh, such things uh, don't exist. Um, and, uh, you know, because otherwise, uh, everyone would play the lottery, everyone would uh, be a multimillionaire because they could predict the future. So I am very cautious about buying into any predictions that might happen next year, and, uh, you know, it's the same thing with, with Nostradamus, for example. You know, it's very remarkable when you realize the fact that, you know, all of these quote-unquote predictions or these prophecies that he's made have only been quote-unquote deciphered after the fact that they had happened. Yeah. And uh, that only means one thing. Look, both you and I could start sitting down today and write down uh, what, 3,000 predictions, and guess what? We'll become prophets because 10 of these predictions will happen, no question. Um, In time. <laughs> right. You know, and so, so I, you know, I, uh, it's just a bit, uh, you know, iffy for me to, you know, so. All right, so you're not saying that, okay, on 1221, on whatever the 1221-2012 date is, that our ancient astronauts are returning. You're not saying that. No, because... I, what I am saying is that uh, these extraterrestrials who were here in the past, and by the way, they've, they've never left us. They're still here somewhere observing, uh, just okay. not in, a, in, a, in a public fashion or in an official fashion or, you know, that everybody can see it. But look, the extraterrestrials in the, in the past, in all the texts that we can read, um, have made one thing crystal clear, and that is the promise for their return. Now, whether or not that return coincides with the end of the mind calendar, you know, that's neither here nor there. Now, if it were, if we speculate that it is truly coinciding with the 21st, yes? 
And I'm going to have to ask you to hold that of thought. Of course. We're, we're coming up on a hard break. You got when it. When we get back, we'll pick it up from there. So, so hang on to the thought. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. We're discussing Eric Von Daniken's new book, Twilight of the Gods, a great read with Giorgio Sukalos. Uh, be sure to stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up. Confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. InnerTalk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing the Mayan calendar and the, the alleged return of extraterrestrials. But before we get back to the show, I'd like to invite you to like, in the words of Facebook, our new Provocative Enlightenment radio fan page. We have an all-new page that uh, Andrea has created there. I'd love to have you visit it and, and join us. And while you're there, you can join me on Facebook as a friend. Okay. Also, please remember to sign up for our free newsletter when you visit ellentaylor.com. Uh, we often have specials that many of you ask me about that are only available to the people that are uh, part of our newsletter team. Okay, back to our show. Before the break, Giorgio was concluding a point about the Mayan calendar and a 2012 prediction, and uh, and I want to pick that right back up. But I want you all to remember this: we're we're discussing the book Twilight of the Gods. This is a great new book. If if you read uh, Eric von Daniken's Chariot of the Gods, you want to read his new Twilight of the Gods. Uh, I can remember reading um, Chariot of the Gods. Gosh. I, I, I'm not going to date myself, but I'm going to tell you it was many, many, many years ago. Some really fascinating possibilities and theories there. And we happen to have, you know, uh, probably the uh, most informed man on the planet visited all these sites, has access to all of uh, of the artifacts, etc. on our show with us today. Uh, you want to catch his TV show as well. Giorgio, go ahead and conclude that point. 
Well, basically, the idea was that, you know, in the ancient texts, what the ancient uh, aliens or those gods, lowercase g, always were very adamant in uh, telling our ancestors is that they made this promise to return. And by the way, this is why all the big religions these days, they all have this idea of the return of some type of a savior. Uh, the big three, all three religions are waiting right now for a, a return. Now, today's idea of the return of a savior might have been a bit misconstrued because it was all based, or it is all based, on um, you know misinterpreted visitation of aliens in the remote past. But so, if we assume that extraterrestrials will come back on the 21st of December 2012, all we are suggesting is that it will not be next year, because next year, even though the calendar, our Gregorian calendar on that day says on your iPhone or wherever you look at your calendar, it will say 21st of December 2012. In reality, it really is not the 21st of December 2012, because as we have established before the break, we are many, many years off. Some suggest up to 50 years, uh, sorry, 32 years and and counting um, from the actual date. So, so that's all we're suggesting. We're not saying that extraterrestrials will not come back. They will come back, just not next year. Right. Now, inferred in this uh, is, is the idea that, you know, life originated on Earth uh, as a result of uh, ancient aliens. Uh, Flesh that out for us. I mean, what's your? I mean, we we have all these religious views, uh, creation epics, uh, yeah, uh, from around the world. I mean, flesh flesh out your view of that as as it stands from uh, the the perspective of what you've learned and and the theories that are built into or inherent in this idea of ancient astronauts. Right, and and that is a, a wonderful question because it it sort of encapsulated encapsulates the essence of the ancient astronaut theory. And the, defini- the definition of the ancient astronaut theory is essentially to determine whether or not extraterrestrials have visited Earth in the remote past. And why, how, could you even, how could you even prove this? And there are many aspects how you can totally arrive at that conclusion. And that is that whenever you look at ancient texts, there are all these descriptions of these gods. And archaeology today says that most of the ancient monuments were built in honor of these gods, that these monuments or temples were built in order to worship them, to have rituals and all sorts of traditions and things like this. And then, you know, mainstream archaeology, basically, they pat each other on the shoulder and then they they go home and they have a beer. Well, and case closed. To me, that's really not science, because, okay, if we were to subscribe to the idea that, yes, these ancient buildings were built by human hands for those gods, that is not where the questioning should end, but that's where the questioning actually has to begin, because my question is, all right, who were these gods? Because, to be honest with you, if these gods were just a figment of our ancestors' imagination, 
that would have not been compelling enough to toil in all this sweat and blood for so many years and even not generations to build all these massive monuments that we have all around the planet for, uh, you know, some invisible, non-existent, uh, you know, idea. So Imaginary being. Uh-huh. Imaginary being, yes. Uh, like, we don't have plenty of those today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is, you know, the big question that we have with, with the, the ancient astronaut theory to determine who were these gods. And in the ancient alien opinion, those gods were nothing else but flesh and blood extraterrestrials who visited Earth in the remote past, and our ancestors misinterpreted those beings for being divine or magical in nature, which they never were. And not because our ancestors were stupid. Mind you, they were as intelligent as we are today because nothing's really happened in our brain development uh, in the last uh, 15,000 years. A brain from 15,000 years ago and a brain of today is pretty much the same. But the difference, the, the big, huge uh, difference is the fact that the technological achievements or the technological perspective, the technological frame of reference our, of our ancestors was infinitely smaller than our technological reference we have today. So, our ancestors didn't understand the nuts and bolts aspects behind those visits of those extraterrestrials. I mean, it's the same thing that's been going on in the last 500 years when you encounter uh, a tribe somewhere and you, uh, you, know, you make fire with a lighter. And with the tribe, you know, one of the most uh, adamant th- things that they're adamant about is to keep fire. First of all, it's very difficult for them to make fire and then, you know, keep that right. fire pit lit at all times. And then somebody comes along with a lighter. Well, that person, and by the way, this is not me talking. This is ethnologists, anthropologists who have, no, sorry, ethnologists who have, there are case studies out with this. Anyone can go and Google the term cargo cult. And the moment you understand cargo cult, which happens, by the way, to this day, we're suggesting that a cargo cult behavior not only is taking place today or in the last 500 years, but in fact has been taking place here on Earth for the last 5,000 years. Where yeah, I have to warn it, our, yes. I have to warn our listening audience if you Google cargo cult, uh, you pay attention to what your source is. Some of it is academic and some of it is very definitely uh, yeah. fringe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's. There is a large group of people today, Giorgio, that mm-hmm. believe an alien race of dinosaurs or reptile-like creatures founded life on Earth. Perhaps they did this through some interbreeding. Uh, are Are you suggesting in in your scenario that uh, life was seeded uh, on Earth by ancient astronauts or? that there was some species here that they interbred with or uh, 
that there is, um, you know, that they came here from another world, but mm-hmm. but life already originated here, uh, and so they just kind of lended uh, a hand with some technology. I mean, that's what I'm trying to, to right. determine. The the basic premise of one of the basic pre- tenets of the ancient astronaut theory suggests that if you look at the fossil record, obviously. Planet Earth does have a fossil record, especially with all of our human ancestors. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing, so in that, in that way, the ancient astronaut theory does not, in fact, negate or undermine the, the evolutionary theory because there, some type of an evolu- evolution did take place. However, even Charles Darwin himself, in the last chapter of The Origin of Species, has come to the conclusion that, yes, I'm, I like my theory, it makes sense, but something somewhere does not make sense because what we're missing here is the intermediary stage species between all these different uh, human ancestors that have come along because evolution suggests that a species goes from point A to point B, from point B to point C, this gradual change. However... Right. What we have in the fossil record are these gigantic leaps where, where a species goes from point A to point D, from point D to point K, and things like this. So this is why we now today have this infamous term called the missing link. And the missing link is basically this mystery where Charles Darwin himself couldn't explain away, well, how did all these, how can you explain away these gaps? Now, this is where the ancient astronaut theory comes in, where we suggest that through a targeted mutation of our genes, which was conducted by extraterrestrials, we, quote-unquote, became intelligent. So that there was, in fact, a direct intervention of our genes, where our DNA was deliberately changed, so that all of a sudden, we have Homo sapiens sapiens, because at first we were just Homo sapiens, and right. then we became Homo sapiens sapiens. And then virtually overnight, we're creating all these amazing things, and civilization has been born. So this big bang of creation in the, in the uh, or, or this big bang of intelligence in the ancient astronaut opinion goes back directly uh, to the idea that ancient aliens are in fact responsible for tampering with our DNA. And by the way, we're doing this today in the lab all, all the time. So this is nothing new. It's, it's basically a reinvention yeah. of history. And if I may, one more, time, one more thing. There is, also a, um, there is also a scientific theory out there of directed panspermia. And that basically suggests that life by itself could have never evolved on planet Earth. And I'm not just speaking about, you know, animal life, but I'm also referring to plant life, anything. And direct panspermia suggests that extraterrestrials on some other planet sent out hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of probes containing the building blocks of life, and thus sent these probes out in order to seed 
different planets, and that by, by sheer chance, some of these probes would land on a suitable planet, and that from there, life began. So the possibilities are endless, and they're all very fascinating. Bottom line is you don't see any of this as created by a god. Um, I would not say that because, you see, I personally am a deep believer in God. However, my, my definition of God might be different than someone that's listening to the program right now. I, I personally do not believe in a personal God. Okay. However, I think that nature itself, the universe, whatever that is, is part, that we're all part of that, and it's this big, gigantic energy force. Because if you look at anything, if it's a piece of stone or a piece of skin, inorganic or organic matter, you put it underneath an electron microscope and you go deeper and deeper and deeper at its core, you cannot make any distinction between the two. It's all the same. True, true, true. That's why Anthony Flew left... uh his faith as an atheist <laughs> became yes. oh, I am most after certainly, many, many years. Yeah, I am most uh, certainly not an atheist. And many people uh, um, are misunderstand that they think, well, you know, that I might be an atheist, but I'm very, very far away from being an atheist. Uh, that Because that uh, atheism, in my opinion, um, that's too sad. <laughs> so the, the universe to you is uh, just kind of move on before we move on. Uh, a living matrix, uh, we could say kind of uh, there is an organizing principle, and we can think of that organizing principle maybe as the grand organizing um, idea, and, and that's yes. how you see. Yes, okay, but, it's cool. not, but it's not in a way where the universe thinks, you know, oh, let's make sure that everything on Earth happens, uh, that everything that happens on Earth is wonderful and that's great, because that is not the, the mission of the universe. The universe right. could care less if planet Earth vanishes tomorrow. You know why? Because in our hearts, we all have the tools to distinguish what's good and what's bad. We all have everything we need, morals, ethics, in our hearts. And so, you know, it's all the tools are there. So it's up to us to make the most of our lives. You know, it's I, not, uh, yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you, Georgia. I think in a very real sense, every human being is a a planet unto themselves yeah. or a universe unto themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I have to ask you this one, and, and, and it's just because uh, it's the sense of uh, fairness here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in books like Ronald's stories, The Space Gods Revealed, and Clifford Wilson's Crash Go the Chariots. Yes, of course. Uh, there's, a, there's an argument out there that um, essentially says Van Daniken uh, drew upon conclusions that were pseudoscientific, uh, some of which uh, they assert were later uh, demonstrated to be fraudulent or fabricated. Um, under illogical premises, and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Indeed, one of the artifacts that is offered as evidence uh, in Von Daniken's book, uh, Chariots of the Gods, asserts that a non-rusting iron pillar in India yes. was evidence of extraterrestrial influence. But Daniken admitted in a Playboy interview that the pillar was man-made and and that as far as supporting his theory goes, I think he said something like, we can forget about this iron thing. Now, that said... 
even though he is he has thrown this evidence out or discredited it, and it's been attacked by these other authors, it's never been removed from subsequent reprints of Chariots of the Gods. How do you answer these critics that come at you with this kind of information? Very easily, because yes, those uh, uh, authors do exist. Um, first of all, Wilson was was a was a theologian and. Ronald Story, actually, in the mid-90s, he, in reality, swapped camps. He is now one of us. He actually, re- she, he actually regrets having written that book, but that's neither here nor there. The book exists, and I'm very happy that you should bring up the Iron Pillar, because, yes, you're absolutely correct that the Iron Pillar in Delhi now is rusting because of, of corrosion and the the air that the you know the smogged air over there in in Delhi and, and things like this, and you're also correct in Fundanikin admitting that you can forget about that pillar, and in subsequent editions of Chariots of the Gods, while it is still in the copy of the text or in the text copy, if you go and read the 35 year or the 30th year edition of Chariots of the Gods, which has been published by Penguin, mm-hmm. there is a 14-page forward, a preface that was newly written by Eric von Daniken, pointing out every single mistake that he published in the original Chariots of the Gods. And so, so there right is there, an errata that exists, even though these experts or these so-called skeptics say there isn't. Oh, no, those things do exist. No, but I mean in errata. I mean, he is, he is essentially corrected himself. Oh, abso- absolutely, yes. No, so the idea that these errata do not exist, uh, that, that is false, because they do exist. Eric has fessed up to those in multiple occasions, in many editions of Chariots of the Gods, and in subsequent books that he's written. Look, Twilight of the Gods is book number 28 that he's written right. since Chariots of the Gods. And, you know, and plus, nobody refers to the fact that there are over 200 and uh, some 230 question marks in Chariots of the Gods. While everyone says, well, Eric von Daniken presented these things as facts, all he did was ask questions and raise these really, you know, uh, question these, these scenarios. So yeah, wonderful, in my opinion, just a you know, wonderful way of looking at things, if for no other reason than to move you off of that comfortable place where you think you know everything uh, and pose questions in yeah. a way that you begin to, to rethink everything. To me, that's what it's about. You know, we, we don't have a lot of time left, and there, there are a lot of interesting corollaries between the two books, Chariots of the Gods and, and Twilight of the Gods, but there are some distinct differences. Can you, can you bring out some distinct differences so that we, all of us that have read Chariots of the Gods will mm-hmm. want to go get Twilight of the Gods? Well, you know, Chariots of the Gods was basically, um, it was basically the, the cliff notes to uh, the ancient astronaut theory, essentially. It's a classic. It, uh, it presents the ancient astronaut theory to you in a very coherent fashion. It, it raises, like we said, all these interesting questions. and makes, It makes your mind think. But the subsequent books, and one, the last one, obviously, being Twilight of the Gods, it still deals with ancient aliens. However, 
it's way more detailed. It goes deeper. Like, for example, in, in Twilight of the Gods, there's an entire chapter dedicated to one of my favorite sites in the world called Puma Punku. And Puma yeah. Punku is in, high, uh, in the Andean Highlands. It's at 13,000, 12,500 feet altitude. And we have the most stunning stonework there found anywhere in the world. And so you have an entire chapter dedicated to just Puma Punku. And, you know, it, there are other chapters about other specific monuments or ideas and textual references where it's no longer a, uh, you know, a walk around the park, but you're actually stopping inside the park at the different flowers and you're looking at the flowers from a very close-up perspective. That's essentially the difference, that now Eric is using his books to go deeper into many of the mysteries that he's presented over the past, wow, 40 years. Yeah, and it is a great read, and and I, you know, there is a, not just a lot of detail, but when you're all said and through, it's it's real easy to see that some of these ideas, how Stone Age people could have done these things, just simply, are false to fact in the real world. Uh, you know, I I could talk to you for days. Good. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> I guess what we need to do, though, we have a we have about uh, forty five seconds left. Tell our audience how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow your work, your discoveries, uh, learn about your speaking engagements, and so forth. How do we reach you? Very easy. You basically just go online to legendarytimes.com. And also, you were mentioning Facebook earlier. I'm on Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash Giorgio Tsoukalos fans and facebook.com forward slash ancient aliens the series and right there on those three different pages uh they're updated every single day you'll you can find out anything that's going on in the georgia universe and i look forward to welcoming welcoming you as a fan on uh, on facebook and things like this absolutely all right well georgio sukalos has been indeed a pleasure i'd love to ask you about crystal skulls crop circles ongoing activities. next time next time next time we'll have to bring you back all right you got it we've thank you sir we've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment i want to thank you all for joining us and i truly hope you enjoyed our show and we'll join us again next week same time and same place and if you have comments on our show do let us know Until next time, then, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always 